0: and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Keogh. AEMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately two and a half trillion dollars in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe, news, views, and analysis delivered by AMOS global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you're a hedge fund or a private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of The Long Short. This week we speak to Jacqueline Bouchard, Head of ESG at Prequin, to compare the challenges of applying ESG principles to private and public markets. So much of the discussion today around ESG completely ignores the very different ecosystem the private market investment strategies operate in, usually typified by much lighter regulatory requirements for companies to report data that could be used for ESG metrics.
1: And with interest in exposure to private markets among hedge funds and investors booming right now, this makes today's discussion very timely for those of us looking to better understand how far ESG has come in being implemented and what tools are available to measure it. Jacqueline offered some excellent insights on exactly where the drive for greater transparency around ESG is coming from and also gave some really interesting examples of case studies of where market participants have taken their own initiative to create ESG protocols instead of waiting for regulators to lay down new laws.
0: And as she notes, we are right at the beginning of this journey when it relates to private markets and it's certainly a trend to watch going forward. So without further ado, Here's our discussion with Prequence, Jacqueline Bouchard. We hope you enjoy it. Jacqueline Bouchard, you're very welcome to The Long Short.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, So, uh, Jacqueline,
0: upon closer examination of the application of ESG policies in private markets, there appears to be an inconsistency across investment strategies. Generally speaking, then, where are we today and, and what is the direction of travel?
2: Yep, yeah, great question. So first, I think we need to start with the foundation. ESG is complex. It's broad. It cannot be minimized to a single set of variables or metrics that make sense for every firm or every investor. So even though standardization is preferred for clarity and understanding, ESG policies and practices need to allow for flexibility. And I think this is something we hear about a lot lately in the news covering ESG. If it isn't perfect and if every report or every assessment or framework is not like for like, Um, exactly. It's a failure. We hear loud voices talking about discrepancies, breaking down any ability to compare with a kind (laughs) of let's throw in the towel mentality. So yes, it can and always will vary. And so looking at public markets, they're still struggling with this. So it isn't surprising that this is what firms in private markets are also struggling with too. Many of them are just starting to define what ESG means for them, how comprehensive it is, and what is expected of their stakeholders, interpreting regulations, and most importantly, how does it all apply to private markets that have their own unique hurdles and are inherently opaque? They are private markets after all. So to answer your question, direction of travel for ESG in private markets is an evolution that will have many fits and starts, but not letting the imperfections be the enemy of good will allow us to focus on the bigger picture, a world where ESG integrates seamlessly into workflows, investors, and managers. What does this look like? meaningful data, consistency across portfolios, and therefore more comparable reporting, informed engagement between investors and their managers.
1: And I think it's safe to say that one of the main hurdles facing the adoption of ESG into public market investment strategies is a lack of standardized data. I can only imagine that this is doubly true when we're talking about private markets. So, can you just quantify the challenge of applying ESG in private markets where you just really have this data discrepancy?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Doubly, E, triple E, probably keeps going up from there. Uh, there is a serious lack of standardization in private markets, just like in public markets, which is why they are experiencing a lot of fragmentation, because there aren't consistent ways of tracking and reporting. However, there are challenges beyond this that are really specific to private markets, like... Um, where in public markets, we have the alphabet soup frameworks report against, there is not yet one framework that is fit for purpose here in private markets. And while some components are applicable to private companies, many are not. And so any transfer of these frameworks of private equity, for example, will still require a bespoke method of application, especially as the company types and sizes can vary incredibly. So, for example, a common KPI like gender diversity and leadership. We see this all the time in public markets. But what does this mean for an early stage private company with two employees? or greenhouse gas emissions when they're working out of the garage of their house. You know These can be really early, early days, um, seed investments all the way up to you know a private company that could be as large as a Facebook before it goes public. So until these questions are answered, GPs are feeling the rising pressure to track and report. And so they have to get moving on it. And they're adopting their own approaches, which is why investment strategies tend to be niche. The outcome is data that's hardly actionable because it's not comparable across portfolios. And taking one step back from that, before we even get to comparable reporting or standardized data to give actionable insights, the other challenge is that there just isn't data. There may be pockets of it for very large firms with the resources or those exposed to public markets as well that have already been experiencing this data demand for some time. But many players in this space are just waking up to, um, and I like to imagine it's with a very cold glass of water to the face, um, these expectations around ESG, expectations that have gone from basically zero to fully mature public market levels in a very short amount of time. So this requires reshaping the way they work to integrate ESG into their processes and decision-making, and it doesn't happen overnight. When we talk about data, we mean GPs gathering it from their portfolio companies. Many might be thinking, what should I ask for? And that's literally where we are. So it doesn't mean the commitment isn't there, but you can imagine uh, this lack of data, this lack of standards, and really just the level of market maturity where we are is representing some major hurdles.
0: And of course, public firms have significantly higher reporting requirements than private firms. Uh, So what ESG data then can investors access regarding private firms?
2: Yeah, so I think that is an understatement, to say the least. Uh, Even without requirements, public markets are throwing everything but the kitchen sink into their sustainability reports. It's like a race for who can disclose the most. Soon you'll see, you know, the calories on the milk cartons that are in the employee fridges because they're just, you know, it's a data point and why not add it in? So, um, but seriously, on a, a, a more direct note. You're correct. These requirements are only beginning to touch private markets. For example, SFDR. Um, But even then, it isn't clear. And so many private market participants are waiting it out to see what does that really mean for our markets. And so I think this question touches nicely on all the topics we covered already, the fragmentation, lack of data, etc. And pulling these together from both the investor and asset manager perspective, the way I think about it is starting first with GPs. They're feeling the pressure of reporting requirements from their LPs. And as mentioned earlier, private markets have seemingly gone from minimal ESG engagement to public markets after 10 years of maturity levels in a matter of, you know, What seems like a night, but let's say less than a year. However, without a framework or consistent data from their portfolio investments, the data they get their hands on is often minimal or not comparable. This in turn leads to GPs reporting what they can to meet the demand. But this is not for lack of effort, again, or commitment from GPs. It's just where we are. We have to provide what we can while we are still figuring this out. It's literally being asked to run while we should be learning to crawl. So now let's talk about those reports that the GPs are putting together. We surveyed investors and LPs last year, and what was resoundingly clear was that the reporting from their GPs was not adequate. However, the GPs probably know this and agree. The reported data can vary across asset classes within a portfolio, which means there's no way to analyze performance or set thematic goals at scale, among many other things. And finally, putting ourselves in the shoes of the LP, getting these reports from their many GPs, thinking about how this issue amplifies. It isn't about the inconsistency of one portfolio report on ESG from one GP. It's about varying reports across various portfolios and GPs that really breaks down the ability to make an informed decision, compare, or really have any valuable engagement. And so getting back to your question question, what data can investors access on private firms? I mentioned all this to answer with, it depends.
0: <laughs> yeah, clearly it does.
1: So, so beyond the uh, regulatory requirements that are out there, mostly on the public side, and uh, of course, the, the ever-expanding reports that the GPs are putting out, you know, are there any platforms or forums or, or other venues where investors can access uh, ESG data on private markets and and maybe that's not even data on uh, firms themselves but maybe just a, a, a forum where they can discuss what it is they're looking for in the first place just really first principles of, of applying ESG in private markets and are these forums that are out there are they sort of maturing naturally and as you would expect and as the overall sustainable financing market develops? Or do you think that there will be a need for regulators to step in to improve transparency?
2: Yeah, well, for one, you can find data with frequent ESG solutions. shameless plug, but really, um, after spending the first 10 years of my career um, in ESG and public markets, I've seen firsthand how progress can occur slowly at first, but then it reaches this tipping point where you feel everyone is all in. Kind of like what I mentioned before, we're going to get, you know, calories of milk cartons soon, I swear. So in, in only the past 10 years, we've seen the transformation of public market e-reporting shift from we have a fun recycling program, you know, very qualitative um, nice to have squishy stories, to Scope 1 and 2 missions, now Scope 3, long-term science-based targets, climate scenario analysis, and levels of sophistication that we really never thought companies would buy into. And even more amazing is that it no longer comes from the bolted-on sustainability teams, but from built-in sustainability strategies embedded in corporate risk. So I do believe we'll see a natural maturity based on what we've already you know witnessed in public markets. But... We also see the same organizations that are dedicated to bringing clarity to public markets, shifting focus to support the same and alternatives. So these are obviously not regulations, but very well-known frameworks that that many GPs and LPs sign up to um, and can really instill the same um, values or, or focus points for, for both GPs and LPs to, to kind of converge around um, to bring some clarity to these markets, such as, for example, UNPRI. Um, and finally, you know, regulations aside, uh, to answer your your last question before before um, ending on this note, I think it's always ine- inevitable. The strong hand of regulation does always help, however, it is usually a very broad brush that leads to attempting a one size fits all application, and we've already learned that one-size-fits-all doesn't work for these markets so i think when we think of the forthcoming regulations whatever they may be for private markets it really will need a more intricate approach um, and and to be really thoughtful which i know is is asking a lot because the regulation just sort of has to be uh broadly applicable but in private markets there is something that's kind of developing uh grassroots in the ground up and um Pretty exciting is that it's it's happening quicker than and um, before any you know strong hand of regulation does come down on these markets specifically. And that is uh, something called the Data Convergence Project, um, which is the industry collaboration. So the Data Convergence Project started late last year with a few investors and asset managers coming together through their own commitment and volition to bring transparency to private markets. It has now grown to 150 plus members by last count. And they basically said enough is enough let's fix this um, and we don't need regulation to do so. So they're starting small, um, but making a really big impact by agreeing on six ESG areas to collect data. So thinking back to everything we talked about, this is where we are six areas, right? Not public markets, 900 KPIs and a, a large report starting small, getting right and, and finding agreement upon, um, from these members to, to go out and capture this data across their portfolios to bring forth a um, insights and benchmarks for, for the, for the market to really use, um, and, and really drive and implement better reporting and data across. So, um, I think this is, this is super exciting, um, more so because, you know, it it is ahead of regulation, um, and it is because of the, the own commitment of, of the players in this market. Um, and I do think similar to TCFD, uh, when something is built by the market for the market versus let's say a nonprofit coming in and saying we've thought about this, here's something that will work for you, or even regulation, we've thought about this, here's something that will work for you, it usually doesn't quite fit. So hopefully, you know, this coming almost grassroots from, from market participants in private markets will, will really see some pickup and, and be that change that we're, we're really looking for, that tipping point.
0: The Alternative Credit Council is pleased to announce the return of our annual Global Summit, which will take place in London on Tuesday, 7th of June, 2022. The past two years have demonstrated the value of real-time market intelligence and access to industry networks. Now in its fifth year, the summit event will convene LPs, GPs, and industry specialists from across the globe and showcase the full breadth of the asset class. Throughout the day, discussions will focus on identifying the key strategic challenges facing private credit managers and what trends are shaping its growth internationally. Speakers will delve into key trends in product design, investor preferences, and how private credit is contributing to decarbonization. Register today on the ACC website to hear the discussions, network with peers, and to join the evening reception. Not that emphasis, again, being private markets, yes. And this was announced late last year, earlier this year, I'm thinking? Yes. Yeah. Well, we, we, we look forward to hearing more about the Data Convergence Project in due course. Uh, just to reflect on the... Um, the regulatory side of things for a few moments. Uh, obviously, the impetus around around ESG has been uh, regulatory led, um, uh, and particularly when I think about what's happening in the EU with uh, the sustainable finance disclosure regime. Um, you know, EU is very much leading the way around ESG adoption. Um, there are, of course differences in the approach to uh, private market adoption globally. Uh, Would you be able to uh, help our listeners understand that a little bit more, please?
2: Yep, sure. So there's not only regional differences on the continental level, but also at the country level. Um, even in the EU alone, we see the Nordic countries having a heavy focus on the governance aspects of reporting embedded into regular financial practice. The UK has been recently pushing climate-based disclosures, also passed uh, the Modern Slavery Act in 2015, and later the gender pay gap requirement. And, you know, They may not necessarily be calling these ESG requirements or, or regulations, but but they are. Um, they, they very much relate to, to common esg um areas of focus that investors and and companies both both really drill down on and so um outside of regulations a KPI we track across all GPs and LPs in our database which is about 50,000 plus is their memberships to ESG industry organizations um, and we do this as a signal of commitment and adoption so kind of understanding where they are um, prior to any regulation coming down and our data shows the rate of adaptation across various organizations such as PRI, Global Compact, CDP, GIIN, um, and, and many others as um, First off, not as high as public markets. Um, and even in Europe, which is colloquially noted the front runner in ESG, only about 19% of firms signed to the affiliation, signed onto an affiliation. Um, so, you know, I think there there are these regional differences um, coming through via regulation, um, but really looking at it globally, we the front runner is still the EU. Um, however, it, it's still not, you know, that forthcoming yet in terms of disclosure, um, both around the commitments they make to non-regulatory organizations, um, but even the data that we're seeing come out of regulatory requirements. And by that, I mean, for example, SFDR. Uh, we did begin tracking this uh, on our platform, and we've done uh, an analysis of the first 1,000 um, GPs that we assessed, seeing if they disclosed um, SFDR firm-level three, four, five, or fund level eight and nine. And of this initial sample size, we see about 20% of GPs um, disclosing those firm level SFDR disclosures in private markets. Um, although many of them are also kind of blended into public markets and at the fund level for eight and nine, it drops off um, even more with about 20%. And most of those are public market funds, um, albeit from GPs that, that play in, in both both markets.
1: And when we think about why SFDR and, and other regulators are looking, also, or other regulators are looking to put in their versions of SFDR, a lot of it comes down to concerns around greenwashing, uh, which is probably up there, or maybe tied or close second for uh, the, the challenge to greater adoption of ESG, because people really don't want to be caught on the wrong side of those accusations. I imagine this phenomenon is probably more of an issue in private markets just because as you said there's that lack of transparency all the issues you've raised um about that maybe crudely private markets are just behind the curve on public markets for, for obvious reasons could you just talk to us a little bit about whether c- concerns around greenwashing are in the same sense less developed or, or where we're at on that sort of journey
2: Yes, definitely. So, um, as you mentioned, you know this is, this is not just a private market issue. However, it is an issue for both markets, and that includes private markets. However, the drivers can can really vary. Um, a thing we talked about a few times is the idea of transparency and data availability being extremely scarce in these markets. And so this creates a slippery slope into greenwashing because firms can make public commitments to sustainability or sustainable finance and have the best of intentions, but without data at the granular portfolio level and, and um, at, the, at the asset levels. How can they truly embed ESG into their analysis and, and make sustainable investment decisions um, or even engage those portfolio companies and drive sustainability within them? Um, so without this data at the asset level, which we know is lacking at the moment, it, it is hard to see that that direct match between the um, firm level commitments to integrating ESG You know, in, in lieu of that data not being there yet. Um, on the flip side, public markets have so much data and disclosure that you can get distracted from what really matters uh, and miss the signals drowned out by the noise. So, you know, I'm not sure which ones uh, better or worse or, or if they both just need need a bit of attention. Um, but I think you do find this in both markets, um, but with kind of their, their, unique, their unique hurdles and issues.
0: And for GPs and LPs, um, of course, prequin offers a suite of esg tools right so, so what 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 are the tools that you have that they can use
2: yes i you never ask <laughs> we are we're, we're proud of our role um as the only provider of esg data to alternatives at scale um we didn't want to force public market ESG practices on private markets. And so what we did was we leaned on our expertise of alternatives as you know, Prequin, a, a data provider exclusively to alternative markets since 2003. But we then thought carefully about what ESG means here, um, so building upon that expertise. And so from where the market maturity was to how these market participants work, we built our products in a stepladder, as we like to say, that we felt was intuitive to addressing the issues unique to the markets. We also work closely with our ESG council, who supports our R&D processes um, and efforts, which is made up of investors and asset managers and academics within private markets, and to ensure that whatever we build does seamlessly integrate into this, every stage of their uh, investment workflows, from research to early screening, uh, due diligence, portfolio monitoring, engagement, etc. So, with that said, our flagship product was launched in late 2020. And this looked at disclosures of 37 indicators that were commonly being asked for by questionnaires um, or other framework organizations such as PRI, SASB, ILPA, TCFD, and public ratings providers. And our next step was to look at the fund level by developing a scoring methodology to estimate a company's exposure to risk um, and also the potential to generate positive impact. Um, and we did this um, through these estimates and are able to apply it um, to uh, our portfolio of over 124,000 portfolio companies. So this really gets at the consistency, data at scale in lieu of real data um, with these risk exposure estimates and even the 37 indicators that we track across firms um you know, that really brings forth a new level of transparency uh, that, that really the market has not seen. And, and simple things like what is my GP committed to, or what policy does my LP have? Seems simple, but you know this is this is really where we are, and and further being able to say how do I compare against other GPS, um, that's something that really what we were not able uh, to do in these markets. And finally, just back to sort of the, the R and D and the efforts and 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 why we think we're we're uniquely suited for this. Um, you know, we were able to reach this scale because of our established relationships. Again, leaning on our, our prequin core uh, business, um, as well as the database of private company deals that we track with our company intelligence team that we've been doing for over a decade. So again, kind of combining these uh, core data sets, core capabilities, core connections and relationships with GPs and LPs, applying the ESG lens, um, we were able to really, really build out a suite of, of products that allow you to analyze GP and LP transparency and commitments at scale, while also getting down into the portfolio and asset level company um, data with with risk and impact metrics um, across, you know, as I mentioned, 124,000 companies there as well.
1: So if I've understood you correctly during this discussion, a lot of the innovation that's coming through in this space is driven by uh, the end clients, so investors or in your case, your own clients, which is, you know, really interesting, as you say, it's it's really ahead of, you know, not just having regulators raising the bar all the time. This is maybe a really interesting case study in how markets can develop independently. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that continues. But in terms of your own clients and and what they're asking for, level of granularity, new uh, tools and toys to play with, what sort of requests are you getting?
2: Yeah. So um, I just mentioned, you know, one of our, our main products is is a risk exposure estimate for portfolio companies. And this was built on a methodology to make estimates because there is no other uh, data availability at scale because of all the reasons that we mentioned before. Um, so I say this to tee up the answer to your question, which is <laughs> the thing our clients ask for the most is the raw data for these companies, which I always find very interesting uh, because as a data provider, we cannot provide the data until it's quantified within the company um, or disclosed by the company or investors. We have estimates now and will happily take real data as it becomes available at scale to enhance our estimations. But, um, you know, it, it is a bit, it is a bit um Curious that, that the biggest ask of our clients is, you know, do you have the raw data? Um, because it's a bit of a cyclical, cyclical conversation or chicken before the egg. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the what we're seeing in regulations elsewhere. So, for example, um, climate risk disclosures and um, what's going on with in, in the U.S. with the SEC proposal to mandate climate risk uh, disclosures from companies, Everyone's saying, you know, this is an investor-led initiative, however, um, or I'm sorry, I should say it is a um, regulatory-led initiative, but really I would say it's it's investor-led because investors are being asked first to report the climate risk of their portfolios, and these portfolios are investments in companies. So that happening first prior to companies being asked to quantify and disclose their climate risk kind of again chicken for the egg how do you really quantify the risk of your portfolio if that data is not yet quantified or reported by that company so we kind of see the same thing here that work has not been done yet we're really early days in market maturity and esg data availability and engagement um and so um in the meantime we'll we'll have our estimates and this is very much where public markets started as well but uh to your to your question specifically what are, what are they most interested in? It's, it is the raw data. Um, but I would say, so are we.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. So you're, you're shamelessly biased in pushing through for more data and, and more power to you for that. And as I say this has been fascinating and, and a very thorny and in, in some ways very simple in that some very simple questions are yet to be answered around uh, adoption of ESG, but, but in other ways, very complex and, Uh, I found this very helpful in, in sort of enhancing my own understanding here. So thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll have you on again.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me.
1: The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or by streaming episodes directly from our website,
2: AMA.org. Thanks for listening.